You're listening to Almost Diplomatic, DC-based podcast that discusses geopolitics, national security, a whole bunch of nonsense over beers. And as a disclaimer, the views and comments made during this episode are those of the participants and do not represent any entity that they volunteer with or are employed by. Enjoy! Hey everybody, welcome to Almost Diplomatic. I'm your host, Ryan Young, and joining me today is... Tom Durham. And Colby Q. And we're recording on November 1st, 2020. So, Tom, welcome back. Thank Actually, you. Actually, it hasn't been that long since you've been on. We did that uh, Germany episode a couple yeah. episodes ago. Star Wars one before that as well. Yeah. No, Clone Wars. Yeah. So, a farewell to clones. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, first time. More fun than what we're talking about today. Yeah. And first Thanks, time, come, yeah, so, yeah, you're welcome. So, Colby, it's first time on the podcast. Does it feel exactly like you thought it would, like a dream? You know, it's like the best day of your life, probably. I said no to you a few times. Yeah, I mean, that did happen, too, but, you know. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> but, but we're here. Uh, it's 2020. Yet, what else am yet, I doing on a anything, Sunday? It's a testament to Ryan's <laughs> persistence. <laughs> yet here we are. Uh, like dating as you could tell as you can tell from the title we're gonna be talking about um the 2020 election and kind of talk about the foreign policy element of it you know the most interesting part of it that most americans care about deeply um <laughs> or not so much um so yeah we're kind of going through a couple different policy issues like look at the each perspective of each candidate and kind of going over that and seeing what that means um but as always before we get started What's everybody drinking? Tom, I know you're not drinking today, but what are you drinking? Um, blue Gatorade. Nice. It has an official flavor title. Cool blue. Sounds sounds. Do you have a rough night, Tom? Um, not so much. Just kind of woke up uh, very parched and still parched. Eight hours later. Nobody believes you. Eight hours later. Moving on to something more interesting. I'm drinking... (laughs) Black is beautiful. Uh, you cannot see the can, but the can is, in fact, beautiful. And it is an imperial stout and quite uh, quite delicious. Makes that. Nice. And I'm drinking, because we're talking about the elections, I decided to step it up. I'm drinking whiskey. I'm drinking, well, I'm drinking a drink called The Godfather. It's, um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's two ounces whiskey with uh, a half ounce amaretto. And I'm drink- the whiskey I'm drinking is Widow Jane from uh, Rope. Rosendale, New York. And uh, it's pretty right. good. Yeah, I'm just like, let's just get started. <laughs> oh. Ooh, that's, that's strong. That's, that's some, that some kick to it. But anyway, we're going to try to talk to a bunch of different topics tonight. Um, so, you know, we're going we're to try to get through a lot of things. But first, we'll start with China. So, where do we begin? Do you guys want to talk about Trump policy or... Biden policy, Oof. or just or what's happened with China in the last couple of years? A lot, not of it, not a lot of it great. Um, what what is the Trump policy in China? Can someone tell me? Uh, I mean, the Trump policy uh, nice essentially is. I mean, he, Trump's whole fixation largely comes from um, deficits, um, like trade deficits specifically, because he, for some reason, is convinced 
that if we have a trade deficit with the country, that they are screwing us over, take advantage of us, which is not at all how trade deficits work. I mean, it's like bitching about a trade deficit is like the equivalent of going on Amazon Prime Day, buying $300 worth of stuff, and then bitching because you have a $300 trade deficit with Amazon. It's like, yeah, you do, but you got things for it. That's how trade works. And so that's been largely his thing to try to get China to buy more shit from us um, to close that deficit. Yeah, it's also been a bigger blame thing with the the COVID nineteen virus and like you know it's all China's fault and that kind of. I mean, they they, they certainly have some blame to have, be passed around because like they didn't really share with everybody that what was happening. But you know, everything that's happened since then is kind of on us. But you know, very initially he was very he was praising China for their response to the virus and all that kind of stuff. Then he's like, oh shit, it's happening in America. It's getting real bad. Nope, it has to be someone else's fault. Yeah, who um, can I blame? Yeah, so that's kind of been Trump's policy in many things. It's like it's never his fault, uh, and that's been a problem. Yeah, you know, I and, think and, you're right that you know I, I, everything else right now that is trying to focus is completely drowned out because of COVID nineteen and and just the pandemic and its effects. And Trump's rhetoric and even Biden's rhetoric to a degree are focused on responding to Trump's rhetoric on China. But as as we know, and I think what you know. Um, so many things that are that are happening in the background that have been happening for years and years and years that are going unaddressed includes just China's reach and its bad trade practices, its bad development practices in so many different places that have gone largely unchecked. And we're gonna we're gonna see some consequences from that if you know either candidate doesn't take a stronger stance toward. Yeah, I, and it's and it's funny you you say that because um, Big Master uh, Trump's second. Um, National Security Advisor, because Flynn was very yeah, pull, short pull out the lever. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yes. He, you know, he, you know, I guess Flynn was about a Scaramucci. That's how long he was in. Um, about or maybe two Scaramucci. Uh, how long he was a uh, National Security Advisor? But like McMaster, when he was initially in that position, labeled China as the number one security threat to uh, the United States, and but we've never taken that stance with them. You know, we've only kind of pissed on our allies a little bit with it because like look at like you know south korea has uh, military bases u.s military bases there because of the north korea threat and all that kind of stuff but it's like oh you're not paying us enough to keep our troops there it's kind of like you know we, you need to pay it you don't make it worth our while it's been kind of the the treatment of a, a long-term ally and like you know one of the most the strongest democracies in the region yeah i don't think we can lay our falling behind the china entirely and I'm not saying that's what you're saying, of course. I don't think we can no. lay that entirely on the Trump administration. Um, several administrations have ignored China to America's, you know, loss here. And the Trump administration is just another administration in line that has kind of not confronted China in a real way, aside from rhetoric. I think the Obama administration definitely laid the groundwork, right? This is the whole idea of pivoting to China. But there really wasn't real teeth. And the failure of TPP really... Yeah didn't achieve what the goals were that i mean a lot of the reason tpp you know if the united states actually joined it ttp would have actually been the building blocks to um creating like a good buffer to china uh from my understand yeah. biden has been kind of vague about stuff on tp he said he would renegotiate like not how it is but he would renegotiate some parts of it um, 
I think largely that just had to do with to guard his left flank, um, because like most things of free trade, um, the uh, the a lot of the far left, um, especially Bernie Sanders, and a lot of them really uh, criticize Obama for EBP, and they just as they do for NAFTA, because unions tend to not like free trade agreements, um, and so I think that was kind of him guarding his left flank there. So we might see yeah, him I mean, try to renegotiate it, I'd say. Yeah, I don't uh, think, I mean, TPP by any means wasn't perfect and I think no. ignored some workers' conditions. And I think Biden has already come out and addressed some of those things, saying, yes. like, right, any trade deal that this government, that a Biden government would embark upon would, number one, take the environment into account, number two, take workers' protections into mm-hmm. account. But I, I think the bigger point here is that the void of not having something like a TPP has allowed China to manifestly take domain in Southeast Asia. Correct. I would argue yeah. Latin America. I would argue Africa, yep. uh, all, the New Silk Road. Uh, to, I would say, only China's really real gain here. Everyone else who I think is gaining these sides, and I'm speaking generally, of course, is getting short-term wins, but uh, but, yeah, but the I mean, developments outweighed. It's, yeah, we, we've seen some of those issues. Like, like, like look at Sri Lanka, for example. Um, now China has like a port there because they basically they put they basically financially fucked over that country and basically made, they go now you're in a debt to China. Good, good luck with the rest of your life now. Yeah, they've, it's they've kind uh, of predatory. And the, at the same time, the Belt and Road Initiative has run into some roadblocks as well. In addition to uh, you know COVID um, contracting the world economy, um, they put a lot into Pakistan, and that's not. Uh, it's not returning uh, the China's investment like they thought it would. So, which yeah. is, you know, if you're going to have a Belt and Road Initiative where it's about like the Silk Road, like, I mean, it, Pakistan is like literally right next to them. So, a road doesn't seem to get too far physically so far. Yeah, there's been a lot of instances of uh, Chinese workers being kidnapped and killed um, yes. working on that project. And similarly, Ryan, you mentioned the kind of the port being built by China and then kind of, you know, not seeing the after effects of that. Similarly, Cambodia, China just built a brand new airbase. Like who needs who needs to battle over islands when you can just go to a adjacent country and say, hey, we'll bring Chinese workers, not sorry, no Khmer workers are allowed to work on this project. Yeah. We're going to build our own airport and it's going to be basically launching military uh, planes out into Southeast Asia, you know, to protect China's regional hegemony yeah it's kind of what you've seen in a lot of places like when they, a lot of work they've done in, uh, in africa has been the same thing they bring in chinese workers and they don't hire anybody who's local so they fuck they fuck over the local economy but they pay off the right people so it's fine technically yeah and it, it creates a lot of animosity among a lot of local folks when i was um doing a study abroad in south and, and, africa and, 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 years and, 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 ago i remember seeing like the china they had the, in uh too far in Johannesburg there, they had a actually kind of a Chinatown, but a lot of the locals I talked to very much resented a lot of it because they saw all these things being built and this is a country that has about a quarter of the population at the time was unemployed and just yeah, and so they saw that it was just why don't we get any of those jobs? And this is very much that resentment was there there and raw. I mean anecdotal, but like that was just what I um, gathered while I was there. Yeah, you know, um, you know what I, I would say. One like the positive thing that coming out of the Trump White House, if China has been, um, 
we did we sanctioned a bunch of different people and institutions uh, after Hong Kong cha- basically changed the status by having the new national security law and stuff like that be uh, put in. So I mean, that's been. I mean, I don't know if it's actually how much has been done over it, you know, or has it just been like, look, we're doing something, but we're not actually doing something, which is very much a Trump administration kind of thing. It's like a lot of, you know, paper tiger. Yeah, I mean, because you also have a lot of allegations of um, Trump administration still, while they're in it, securing um, trade, like exclusive, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, basically, rights so that uh, Ivanka's businesses can still continue to go there, like in China. So it's just like you kind of have this happening at the same time. So that just is a, a lot of it is. Um, his bark is louder than his bite, as the expression goes. I mean, I think we can continue on a laundry list of things that China is doing that's problematic, not only for the United States, but for other countries in the region, other countries in the world. But I guess my question, since we're coming on an election, is let's say Trump is reelected. Ugh. Let's say Biden is elected. How do you, we think either of them will take steps towards China? in their either the second term of an administration or a new Biden administration? Well, with with Biden, I think for us to be a thing of like, we're going to engage with them. He's had some of the, he's, you know, he claims, and I think he correctly claims, he's had some of those interaction with Xi Jinping. Um, but also be like working up our allies to kind of be like, oh, hey, wait, we're still there. We're going to be backing you back. And, and like, you know, Pacific Fleet will still be there. Be like, hey, uh, don't fuck around. We're still, you know, don't start shit with people. Um, and back allies and support Taiwan and that kind of stuff. But also at the same time, like, hey, we have to work with China because they are who they are. So it's not, you know, but it's not going to be, here's a blank check. Or like, I don't like how you're playing. I'm going to go home. Mm-hmm. You know, the, basically the pouting bitchiness that is the Trump administration. Yeah. And at the same time, too, like it, it's like one of the biggest beneficiaries actually of the whole trade war has been Vietnam. We've been buying more things from Vietnam to offset what we normally be getting from China. And so just kind of uh, ironic because Vietnam is part of the TPP. And so we would have been doing more business with them anyway, if we had joined TPP. So it's kind of a weird, um, I don't know, just a, I don't know what's the way. It's just kind of ironic. That, that's how that's turned out. Um, and then let's do like TPP again, like or just creating some other kind of a buffer. Definitely, it will be it would be part of the Biden foreign policy to try and rally more allies to help put, put up a buffer, whether it is in form of a trade deal or just something else. Like because that's part of it is Trump's been just trying to go it alone for too much of it, and that's just not going to work. Yeah, I agree. You probably will we'll continue to kind of go it alone, sort of, and have some very manic policies towards China. Basically, like, oh, they're the best or they're the worst. Or it's like, hey, you know, I would do the same thing to the Uyghurs, that kind of stuff that comes from his mouth. Um, oh, so, like, yeah, it's kind of like there won't be real policy. It'll just be these deals that supposedly will benefit America. But even if they do, it's going to be very short-lived. China plays long game a lot better than most people. So... It's China's been around longer, <laughs> a lot longer. Yeah, it's also easier to play Fair. the the long game when you're a one party state. Uh, yes, but I, I I agree with you. I think for China, you know, we got to figure out how to both compete but also cooperate. 
right? Like we can cooperate on things like climate. We need to cooperate things on climate, uh, nuclear weapons, North Korea, space, you know, things that we need to have dialogue over that we can't do without China or we can't do as well without China. There is room for cooperation. And I think Trump's kind of manic back and forth doesn't allow for that cooperation to happen. I think a Biden, the Biden campaign has very firmly said there are places where we can have conversations. On the other side, you know, the United States needs to hold China accountable for the things that it's not doing well. It's not playing by trade rules. Mm-hmm. It's human rights violations, Hong Kong, Uyghurs, IP protections, uh, so much. But there, there needs to be a, a, a more complex approach that we haven't seen with this administration. Yeah. So let's let's move on. Or to, so we could probably talk about China the entire time. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, so you mentioned climate change. So I guess that's probably one of the most important things for. I mean, for the election, even domestically in the U.S., after we left the Paris deal, uh, which was, you know, this basically, I think the only people, only people not in that deal is, is us, think, Syria, yeah. and it was, is Nicaragua now in it? Because I know they had left. I th- well, they left because they didn't they, think it was uh, strong enough. Like, they were the, they were that, they were that, you know, there's always that one, and they were, um... So let's see. I just pulled up quickly a map here. Um, looks like Syria is now on board. Maybe. Oh my God! They're in the middle of a civil war. I think. Ah, no. So let's see here. So I have. Uh, there's 195 signatories. That's right. And uh, 189 that. Um, yeah, 189 that are actually part of it. So it looks like. Um, Algeria, Iran, Iraq, Turkey, Oman, according to this, are the ones that are on there. Um, really? I thought they were. Huh. They have them down to signatories, <laughs> but not state parties. Um, so, so yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's Trump got rid of that. One of the first things he did was leave the, the Paris uh, climate deal, and it's kind of like not really. He's, and maybe we're thinking maybe at the beginning, okay, well, he's, he's doing it because Obama doesn't want it. Obama did it, so he has to fucking reverse it. Um, but and we go, maybe we'll get a replacement thing. That's not been true at all because his base is just like there is no climate change. Derp derp derp. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I I'm not sure what to say here. I think this is like an unabashedly, partly a generational thing, partly a kind of sick party thing. But how? At the long the long game is with young people who are are going to like really press this forward. We're already seeing that now. But for the Trump administration to dismiss this in favor because it's killing American jobs is a fallacy because they're not creative enough to think you know what other type of jobs could exist. I... Yeah, he's been like a lot of. Is also I haven't just I have just the the Paris uh, agreement, but it's been like EPA protection stuff. Regulations have been re- gotten rid of. Then over like you know clean coal is a thing again. Like, you know, destroying like all the wildlife kind of preserve things we're having, we're kind of destroying yeah. and, and removing and just like, hey, we had we had a lot of progress over the last like 40 years in regards to like preservation and like climate things. And it's just like, mm-hmm. not fucking. <laughs> it's also ironic too, just because like he, uh, he campaigned so hard on coal. He hasn't talked about coal once this campaign. Um, he's brought up like fracking and stuff, but like. Despite all his efforts in them, coal having 
quote unquote the best ally in the White House they've ever had, um, is still continuing to decline in its share of uh, production in U.S. energy and in in the world in a lot of parts. Like coal is largely seen as on its way out, um, just because renewables are replacing it in a lot of places, and renewables are continuing to become cheaper and cheaper. Um, yeah, we use it to power fucking trains, like. I don't know, mid eighteen hundreds, and give or take. I don't know when the when it first one yeah. started, but it's been I mean, you know, it's kinda like it's it's very archaic. We get we have better shit now. This is don't forget too that in a simpler time in the pre COVID time, um Trump when giving a Christmas phone call, yeah, I think it was Christmas to a sailor, talked about how we need to go back to steamships, but we don't use steamships anymore because they're just so complicated that no one can really understand them. And then of course the sailor who really deserves a medal for this just nodded and and agreed with the president and said, uh, well, you know, we have nuclear submarines as well, and they're pretty complicated too, Mr. President. Just, yeah, that that is a real exchange that happened because he's weirdly fixated on steamships. Um, I don't maybe know maybe like he, steampunk. Steamships are maybe cool to or, see in movies, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> like, or, or maybe it's, yeah, or maybe he was down in Louisiana, saw one, it was like, oh, I gotta get me one. But, uh, <laughs> I, know, I mean, he, he has, has casinos. They're, they're floating casinos, so he gets like he has a giant steamboat. <laughs> yeah, you know what? In, you know, in a different in a different time period in American history, Trump would just be remembered as some like huckster on a steamboat in like Louisiana or some shit. Yeah, that's that's you dreaming, Tom. <laughs> no, in a different in a different world, a different world. But unfortunately, like I'm talking about, this was if this was like the early 1900s, 18, late 1800s. That's what. That's where he would have ended up. But, alas, here we are. And Biden basically wants to just uh, reverse everything that Trump has done and then rejoin the Paris Agreement, obviously, and then move forward with like creating jobs based around creating technology that's probably a for day, uh, uh, energy. I think that's a day one executive order because I think Trump set it up so that they will we'll withdraw from it the day after inauguration. Just very arbitrarily... For no reason at all, decided that day. <laughs> um, so I'm sure that'll be one of his first executive orders. That and signing executive order for uh, Secret Service to evict the occupant of his house. Yeah, I mean, here's hoping. I don't. I don't have any faith in the American people. Um, <laughs> I absolutely yeah. fucking do not. I, I, I think it's like it's like it's like, it's like people with bias and errors. Like, listen. Like I'm not some bleeding fucking heart liberal either. I I voted I voted Republican most of my fucking life. I voted for McCain, <laughs> then Romney, then Clinton was the first um, uh, oh, <laughs> Democrat I ever voted for in my entire life. And she was maybe a hot. Should just not. Maybe you should just not vote because it seems like whoever you vote for doesn't win. I know, so I probably fucked so, Biden by voting for him. <laughs> you should have voted for George Jorgensen or however you say her name. Yeah, that fucking lunatic. Anyway. <laughs> Libertarians, lunatics? No. Oh my god. <laughs> anyway, so climate Wait. change was great. Let's move on. <laughs> um, I mean, climate change. The one thing, the other thing I'll say about climate change is like Trump, like touts how much he listens or how much he cares about in military national security. But we have, you know, sweeps of national security leaders, military leaders saying, you know, climate change is an existential threat to our readiness, our operations. But this has not swayed him in any sort of way. No. 
No, it, yeah, it's, it's like, also it's like the the fifth fleet base in um in fucking Bahrain's gonna go underwater in a couple of years. Don't forget that during one of the debates too, when they brought the environment, he just on the spot said that he is he no one's better out of the environment than him, and he's doing a I think it was like a one trillion tree like program or something. And I remember. Like sitting there watching, I was just like, "Are there even that many trees in the world?" And I googled it. it it's not. There's like 500 billion trees or something like that. Like I mean, it's like, okay, so we're gonna more than double the number of trees in the world. Um, okay. This like, this just came. This is not related. This just came to my mind though. Like I was at a meeting. I was at a meeting at the State Department with some foreign service officers and i just remember this moment where they said we were talking about a few topics like, like you know what do young people care about in foreign policy obviously climate change came up and one of the foreign service officers said we're, we're not allowed to use the word climate change <laughs> we have to strike it from all of our yeah. official documents <laughs> that's and all of us just looked at each other like what reality are we existing in here yeah that's just a really stupid dystopian one it's a new type of don't ask don't tell Oh my god. <laughs> don't ask about the climate. Don't tell us about the climate. The sky's on fire. That's nope. fine. <laughs> Alright, so we obviously solved that rosy topic. Ryan, what was the next one? Okay, so the thing too that is one of the great challenges that I think with climate change though is the whole debate about like who is most responsible for a lot of cleanup. And so it'll be a challenge yeah. of Biden and any president, this is something that Obama ran to, is you know, who is ultimately responsible? Because the biggest polluters, China and the U.S., are. But usually with the way China counters is that, and they're right, that per person, Americans contribute more greenhouse gases. We're worse than the Europeans. We're worse than everybody else. And so that comes down to, like, who is more ultimately responsible, um, especially getting emerging places like India and China. is, And it's going to be a little bit more difficult now um, yeah. for any administration just because a lot of them uh a lot of developing countries especially i've been hit hard um this is the first year since the end of the cold war that the percentage of people in the world living in poverty isn't going to go down um, we've had amazing progress over the last 30 years so it that will be one and of the great you're, you're making you're making the argument potentially that a, a focus on climate change and you know, restricting developing countries from using traditional yes, you know, energy sources is stunting their growth. That's a that's a hard argument. It is potentially so. That's so I could probably see because because Biden has really been talking about in America, um, creating kind of the green economy, like you know, bringing back a lot of manufacturing for green yeah. tech, yeah. and so I could see him potentially trying to jumpstart that here, export a lot of that to a lot of yeah. the developing world to help them with that, which totally. would be a pretty sensible uh, route, I'd say. Uh, so I can yeah. see that. Tom, I, 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 you know, you kind of phrase this, like, who's ultimately responsible? And I, I would, you know, conjecture back saying, like, we're, we're all responsible, oh, right? Every country is responsible. Right. I know you know that. I know you're saying that. I, yeah, I, I blame Tom. I blame I, Tom I, in particular. I, but I, but I, I say that meaning, like, that means... You know, it requires, you know, Biden says a lot, it requires leadership. And without the U.S. providing some sort of guidance or initiative or leadership, you're not going to see yeah. China take leadership in this. Or if China is taking leadership, it's not the type of leadership that we want to see on climate. 
No, they're going to probably try and do some experimental stuff that's dangerous. Like I think I remember reading was that they were looking at um, unproven, untested tech of just like countering um, carbon emissions in the air by just building these big old cannons and then shooting stuff into the atmosphere. That'll go great. <laughs> but I, I, I think you're right in the fact that like if the U.S. takes leadership in you know doing kind of the dive into green mm-hmm. innovation that China will naturally fill the slot as main competitor in that, right? But it requires one of us to dive to in. To take that first one. Yeah, particularly right. because, it is, part of a lot of it too is because like, the, I mean, China, China invents like things, but they don't, the main, one of the, best, one of the main edges still the United States has over China is that China doesn't really innovate um, to the degree that we do. And it, but the one thing they really are good at is copying. So we, we bring some innovations to compete, to keep up with us, because other people buy it, China will start copying. And look at that. And then suddenly, <laughs> they'll probably make it cheaper. And, yeah, um, spread from there. But, like, when I was talking about where we were, like, who's ultimately solved? Part okay, of it is, anyway, like... Anyway, anyway, we're done talking yeah. about China and the climate. We're done. Yeah, we're somehow we got back to China. <laughs> yeah, we're not doing... It's not a China episode. Maybe another time. Anyway, you brought up the Cold War, so let's talk about... If we're, and we're talking about U.S. elections, we have to talk about Russia. Oh, man. Because uh, it's been proven they like to interfere in our elections, and they have done so. Uh, to what degree, no one knows. And yeah. <laughs> Just like, what does that mean? Let's talk about the Russia policies the last couple of years, which has been not super. Um, definitely. So, I mean, remember in 2018, though, uh, a bunch of troll bot farms were taken out by, I think it was the Defense and, uh, Information it's one of the one of our 14 intelligence agencies um took took it out like for a good while um they committed by doing a cyber attack and so i could see probably a Biden administration amping those up um because a lot of for the plausible deniability russia will buy out and like a lot of these troll farms and call them internet research associations and they'll be in places like macedonia Bulgaria, Kazakhstan, all the former like satellite states. Um, so I could definitely see to counter Russia, Biden um, amping that up a bit, and then trying to encourage NATO to do the same. It's also not treating NATO like an ugly stepchild. Yes, uh, that's probably the biggest one. Um, the commonality between perhaps Russia and the Trump administration has been its Unified uh, undermining of NATO, yep. European Union, <laughs> the U.S. electoral system. <laughs> yep. Um, and I can see probably as punishment retribution for four years ago, I wouldn't be shocked if uh, Biden gets more sanctions slapped onto uh, Russian oligarchs to even put more pressure on it, particularly with uh, Putin. Um, what is his name? The uh, opposition leader who was poisoned. Um, oh yeah, covered in Germany. So he's going back to Use, Russia. Using covers. using a Russian nerve agent too, not yes. like you know some like uh, something you, anyone can get. Like something, it's a uh, Novichok, Novichok. Um, because you definitely not because of, but yeah. So definitely, I can see more sanctions being thrown on to uh, Russia. It's like oligarchs um, putting more pressure on Putin. Pretty much, you kind of a tip for tap, making them pay for. Um, the interference that they've done in 2016, attempted in 2018, and this year as well, uh, because Russian 
bots have been boosting a lot of the QAnon um, people, as well as everything from the Hunter Biden scandals to God, it's been, it's so much. So or, or, or or even talking about this, you know, the um the whole bounty shit. Yeah. That, uh, I definitely want yeah. to bring up and talk about real quick. It's like you know we have That's all these threats against you know basically the Russians are helping the, or paying the Taliban to target U.S. troops in Afghanistan. It's like oh that's fucking cool and then and then also we had like recent fairly recently they they had that the bunch of russian like uh armored vehicles chase down another american armored vehicle and like, pay, like basically pin them in yeah that's know, wild. in syria so it's just like oh cool and, and trump has done nothing about it basically even like hey even even pretend to mean it be like hey don't do that i'm gonna be tough on you i'm 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 you know right. i love troops and other shit yeah very odd yeah, yeah just, because as we know, he's not afraid to use rhetoric, even if it's there's nothing behind that rhetoric to lambast what he sees perceived opponents. But exactly. you're right. In both of those cases, that didn't happen. And that's very curious. Like, here's proof that he's doing this stuff and, and Putin is doing these things. It's just like, oh, well. Yeah. He said he said he wasn't doing it, though. That's, in my phone call, he said he didn't do that. Yeah. You have Democratic and Republican appointed you know, directors of national intelligence unified IC community basically saying Russia has been messing with the U.S. electoral system for years and the president ignores it because he thinks he knows better. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's kind of, it's, 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 it's just, I don't know. It's, it's, we, we do nothing against Russia. I think Biden would go against that basically like, like in the ideas like supporting Ukraine and like having Russia pay for its, um, it's transgressions in Syria, which have you know killed countless civilians over the years during the during that conflict, and then or, try try to keep our allies from like becoming like oh dependent on Russian oil, which is a whole fucking like that's just the dumbest shit. We're like Germany, what the fuck are you thinking? Um, uh, also just to just talking about Middle East, like I I I could see Biden would probably also try to i mean it's hard to make up for this but i mean trump pretty much let abandon the kurds um yeah and i don't know how much of that could be salvaged but i can definitely see the biden administration attempting to try and salvage that um because that there's really no other way to put it He, he he left the kurds to their fate there um to the turks and then now you have Turkey essentially kind of decoupling itself from the West. Yeah, they're and they're a member of NATO, which is great. <laughs> yeah. But I think we talked a little bit about this before in the before the episode. We talked about NATO and how you know they the NATO has stepped up paying for their own um, they're def- they're kind of matching their defense spending how they're supposed to, but it's mostly because they're like the US is such an unreliable ally that we can't rely on them for our security because they, they they feel that we would abandon them in the case of something happening. Yeah, I mean, sure, I we can give credit to the administration for rebalancing, perhaps, cost-sharing for treaty organizations, including NATO, including the UN. Sure, credit can be given there. I, I, I think, though... It's not if, the right if, way to if, do it. If, yeah, if that is the posturing, right, is to, like, condemn your allies in order to them to you know, pay more. I, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure how you repair those relations, right? I mean, yeah. a new administration has a lot of 
preparing to do. I, I think Biden's well suited to do that, obviously. 30 years in foreign affairs, two-term VP. He has relationships with these people in these countries that go way back. That doesn't worry me. Um, a second-term Trump administration, I, NATO is going to be even more weakened. Russia is going to be further unchecked. Uh, I, I, I would be surprised to see a, a change in his foreign policy use toward China or Russia in his second term. Well, the thing is, I, I, so I brought up the, the point of like, you know, every NATO country has their, like, their 2% of the, whatever their, their GDP needs to go towards uh, defense. And we, that's why we moved troops, removed troops from Germany. A lot of those forces are going to Belgium and Italy, which both those countries do not pay even close to what they, what they should for NATO. So it's just, mm. it's, it's a fuck you Germany thing because everyone likes Merkel. So is, uh, I didn't know that. Interesting. I think, and also a good number of them are going to Poland, right? Uh, yeah, a good, a good amount with the Poland, because Poland is paying off the ass to have American support there. Um, that, and, like, Poland kind of needs defense, because they're a border state, so it makes sense, too. But, like, strategically, it's not, long-term, not the best move. But, uh, when does that ever matter? <laughs> what, what matter? What the Poles want? <laughs> no long-term strategic policy. Oh, for Americans, never. Yeah. Uh, what's uh? We're gonna we're gonna we have about five minutes left. So what is really? I guess the the things we want to talk about last. I mean, do you want to talk generally? Yeah. Go ahead. I'm curious. Like, what are each of your like foreign policy like? dream points for an administration like th this is like the ideal foreign policy that you would like to see under we don't have to pick biden or trump administration we can refocus to that right we can refocus that but like what what what's your ideal kind of foreign policy or what are like some of the like top things you'd like to see exerted by u.s government uh conti continued counterterrorism is something we've kind of like the war on terror is over we won it's like that's not true at all uh i mean there's still i mean ISIL still exists in Iraq, in Afghanistan, Syria. Uh, Mozambique's having a, a uptick of violence from groups that are a lot, apparently aligned to them. They still exist in the Sahel. At least the French are there trying to take care of it. Um, so basically, I mean, it's it's the I mean, it's very much what Biden, Biden has pushed, which has been like the light footprint approach, which um, Obama was doing. You know, more drone strikes, that kind of stuff, which can be good and bad depending on. With the intelligences and the way that they actually follow the rules of engagement when using UAVs, because sometimes they would just be like, "Nah, there's not, there's, there's nah, you know, it's not, not supposed to do it when the civilians around." They're like, "Nah, fuck it." And it's just like that's not great. So I don't know, not taking our foot off the brakes for that because or for they should put, yeah, I don't know. I was I just fucked up that phrase, but, <laughs> but yeah, I, I feel that. No, I got you. I think for I'll me. I, I'm thinking. Go ahead, Ryan. No, go ahead. I had I had nothing good. <laughs> no, I think for me, I'm thinking about like I guess I should have rephrased the question. Like, what are like the foreign policy priorities for you, right? And yeah. for me, I think I'd like to see a U.S. government that is unafraid to respond to you know massive human rights violations that include. Genocide, like we're talking about the Uyghurs in this case, right? Taking a stronger stance, and I know that's complicated with China, but like we, someone's got to do it, and it might as well be the U.S. Um, getting more involved in situations like, you know, Armenia, Azerbaijan, like that's a very sensitive issue, of course, but 
there needs to be larger U.S. U.S. presence there. Or, you know, the U.S. doesn't have to do it alone. But that means we need to have better relations with our allies and our better relations with the United Nations to achieve some of these things. You know, investments, again, in, in collective security, uh, thinking about climate change as a foreign policy priority. Uh, so all that to say, I mean, I think a Biden administration brings us closer to what I'm outlining here. But I think these are some basic tenets that, you know, we're not we're not seeing. And I, I think we're all we're all paying for. Yeah, it's like, let's stop mistreating the United Nations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to see definitely a lot more in addition to prioritizing climate change as a global existential threat, as Biden continually has called it. Um, greater building of coalitions outside of our typical ones we go to. Um, definitely, of course, healing a lot of the our allies, but I would love to see a return to talks on... Um, there was in the works a free trade agreement with the idea between the EU and the United States. I'd like to see something that returned to that in addition to the United States yeah. potentially renegotiate, like help adjust, like make adjustments to TPP. I know that'd be a long effort because the TPP took about seven years to negotiate um, initially. Um, not only just for creating a buffer China, but just simply because by how, when you integrate a lot more of the global economy, um, it decreases a lot of the a lot of the causes for tension. Not all, but a lot of them. I mean, there's there's no expression that if goods and services, uh, goods, services, and people do not cross borders, eventually soldiers will. And by doing that, by having more of that integration, that would help bring a lot of yeah. countries more closer together. Um, and because the United States, for how strong it is, it can't do all this stuff alone. Um, particularly uh, with places like our Navy is overstretched. Um, having closer ties in South Asia, particularly like India, uh, would go a long way. The two largest democracies in the world need to work better together. Um, not only just as a counter to China, but just to any autocratic regime. When you have two of the largest um, economies in the world and uh, who are democratic, working, like making kind of, at, I don't know, for better lack of a word, together being kind of a shining example or a beacon it will perhaps persuade other countries not to go towards the alternative, like China. So kind of vague, but that's definitely something I would like to see a lot more. Um, because like this Hillary Clinton mentioned several times four years ago, we are 5% of the world's population. We, we can't do it all alone. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm about that. I mean, I, alliances are, are difficult. They need tending. But mm -hmm. when you have a block of nations... You're, and you you get them together to agree to a certain set certain rule of the road yes. right rules to the road then you you can apply greater pressure and you can counter a China and incentivize it to play ball otherwise it gets froze out you know from yep. from potential and another thing too is most of the alliances that we have were born out of a crisis or another you um, typically war and so at the same time though climate change is a crisis and so potentially from this, we could forge potentially some new allies and alliances out of this um, because we do all need to work together. The incentive is there. And those are the kinds of ones that last in the long run. All right. Well, that's been a good conversation, but it's time to end. And before I end, I just want to say, uh, if you have not voted yet and you're not planning to vote, you should really do that. Um, you could go to iwillvote.com and they have 
everything you need, you know, finding where you, where you can vote, your job applications if you have mail-in ballots still, or if you want to register to vote. So there's multiple states uh, you can do the day of. So go and vote. It's uh, super important. And don't fucking just sit at home and go, I don't feel like doing it because my, my, my voice doesn't mean anything or something like that. Shut the fuck up and go goddamn vote. <laughs> You're pissing me off. This is what happened last time, you assholes. You know yeah, what I'm go, talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, guys, just go vote. You don't want Ryan to come to your house. He does that to I'll me all the time. And and he's just go. angry. He's just angry. So just, just go vote. <laughs> anyway, that was almost too Thanks, guys. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having us.